The Apostle Paul said, if only for this life we have hope, we're to be pitied above all men. But we know that our hope is not just here. We know that despite all of the wonderful, incredible things that God does in us, through us, for us, that ultimately this life will one day fade and we have an eternity with the king to look forward to. Amen? And it's sometimes really hard for us to grasp because we're, we're locked into the finite and we're trying to comprehend the infinite. It's pretty tough. It's pretty difficult. But yet we see the infinite step into our world time and time again and do miracles and bring healings and bring restorations and heal relationships and do all of these wonderful things. We say, if he can do that much, just in this realm filled with flesh and carnage and everything else, and yet I can see him disrupt the whole thing and, and do so much, how much more when everything is walking in complete obedience to him will heaven be just an incredible, glorious experience. Amen. And, and so we look forward to it. We say, God. You know, when I was a kid, I was just sitting there contemplating. When I was a kid, I remember about eight, nine years old, I was, I was afraid of dying. I was so terrified of death. I went running downstairs. It woke up at like 9 and 10 in the evening. My parents made me go to bed like at 7 or 8, some ridiculous hour. Uh, it's probably why I rebel and don't like to go to bed early nowadays. I don't know. But anyway, I come running down the stairs and told my dad, I said, you know, I'm afraid of dying. And he just looked at me and he said, son, don't worry about it. It's a long ways away. That wasn't exactly what I needed to hear. It was the best answer he could give me. And, uh, you know, but it was not what I needed to hear. And then, you know, when I encountered Christ at 17, that fear just disappeared because I knew I was in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. And it was gone. And I've had the privilege of, as a pastor of being with people as they've slipped, as we say in the expression, beyond the veil from this life to the next. And I've been with people that know Jesus and I watch just the peace of God come on their countenance and they just, they just slip into his presence and they're confident and they know. And then I've seen other people fighting for every breath because they're so terrified of what's yet to come because they don't know the Lord. The difference is so incredibly marked, so easy to see as people just come into his presence and they just, their, their spirit just gets ascended into his presence. Amen? And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. I'm not trying to get there any faster, although sometimes the way I play with power tools, you'd wonder. But, uh, <laughs> but, but that day when it comes, we have no fear. Amen? Right? And then the Bible also says of us who remain, remain after someone, we lose a loved one. The Bible says we mourn, but we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Because we know one day we're reunited with them. And so for us, it's just, we'll see you later, not goodbye. Amen? And that's the truth of the gospel. And that's what we hold firm and fast to, and nobody can shake us from. We are confident in that, in Jesus' name. Amen? Praise the Lord. That's all free this morning. But the song just teed me up. I couldn't, couldn't not do it. You know what I'm saying? Praise the Lord. Father, we just thank you. We have our hope in you. That, uh, Father, we have a hope that is so immense and so incredible that, Father, nothing can shake us from our foundation. And, Father, as we put our hope and our trust in you, Lord, the Bible says it will be richly rewarded. And, Father, we thank you for that. We hold on to that truth. We cleave to your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Thank you so much, worship team. Yes, amen.
Jeff, nice to have you. That is your name, right, Jeff? Yeah, good, good to have you back. <laughs> uh, I came up on the platform this morning, and he knew the joke was coming, so he introduced himself to me first. It was, it was like, yeah, okay, hi. And how did you guys have a good time in, up in uh, Durham last week? That was Ajax, yep. Awesome, amen. Was so good Mike couldn't be here today or what? <laughs> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> well, um, yeah, we're going to continue on. We're going to be closing the, the whole series about the Holy Spirit in the modern age, and we've talked about all the gifts in the Scripture and all the rest of it. We're going to be closing it in a couple weeks. And um, we'll, we'll finish it on the uh, Sunday, our, our, um, our kickoff Sunday on the 10th, and I'll be talking about the ministry, the gift of pastor. And, uh, you know, next week, uh, Mr. Henshaw is going to be talking about pastor, I should say. And I'll finish off talking about the evangelist gift, I should say, on the, uh, the 10th. Next Sunday, Mark's going to be talking about the gift of pastor. How many know that Mark can talk about, with authority, on what it means to be a pastor? How many know that that's true, right? Amen? Come on. So he's going to talk about that next week. I know you won't want to miss it. And uh, it's going to be a great day in the house of the Lord. Well, today I get to talk about the gift of teacher. And uh, as one of the ones that's close to my heart. And, um, you know, this is probably the least glamorous of the five gifts. Apostles, prophet, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Probably the least glamorous. And you're like, why is that? Well, because most people's image of a teacher is a, you know, an egghead. You know, somebody whose Bible's stuck in lexicons and concordances. And, you know, who, who uh, only sits there waiting for an opportunity to just dispense all this useless, trivial pursuit-type knowledge on you. And there's some truth to that. How many have met teachers like that? They're just full of info, right? You know what I mean? And you pick a topic and they just go on you with that topic. You ever had that experience? Come on, sure you have. Sure you have, you know. And, uh, you know, even, even if people don't understand apostles and prophets that we've been talking about the last few weeks, they still kind of look at them as being like, you know, something a little, at least with some mystique behind it. But the teacher, yeah, we are know what a teacher is and yeah you know, sure, become a teacher, get a good pension. That's why, that's why you do it, right? But the reality is we're going to talk and dispel those myths today because that's really not what a teacher is. And it's certainly not what the gift of teacher is in scripture. And, uh, you know, and then the Bible says that people also have the gift of teaching. So you've got, you know, the, the apostolic or the fivefold gift of teacher, but we've also got that of, of being able to teach the scripture and be able to teach and admonish one another uh, as the scripture talks about. So I want to maybe help destroy some of those stereotypes and uh, help us understand what this gift is to the body of Christ. So, as I mentioned last week, and I think for the last few weeks, Jesus is the perfect representation of all five of these gifts, right? He's the uh, first apostle. He's the great prophet, right? He's the ultimate evangelist. He's an incredibly shepherding pastor, and, uh, and, and we also know that he is the great teacher. Amen? And in fact, did you know that Jesus is referred to as teacher more than he is the other, the other four? Forty-three times in the New Testament, Jesus is called teacher. Jesus is referred to as teacher. And uh, teacher was also a title that Jesus willingly accepted upon himself. John chapter 13, verse 12 to 15, it says this, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And then he said, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. 
Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So Jesus actually just took that title that they referred to him by all the time, and he, and he said, and rightfully so, I am your teacher and Lord. Amen? Uh, Jesus, uh, in one of the verses in the Bible, there's a, I'll get to this in a minute, there's four different words for teacher in the New Testament. The one word is only used twice, and it's in the same passage in Matthew chapter 23, verse 9 to 12, and I'm going to read that one for you as well. Jesus claimed to be <clears throat> our sole teacher, our are the only teacher that we should listen to. And listen to this. He said, And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That's a unique passage. And Jesus said, You have one teacher, me. And that word that he was using there is kathajetes. And you might say, hmm, what's that mean? Well, that means uh, someone uh, who's a leader who brings others to follow after them in their, th- in, in their calling and in their anointing. So when Jesus specifically used that word in that passage, and many translations of the Bible, including the King James versions and others, don't translate the word teacher there. They use the word master. Because the connotation of that word is a teacher who is the, the ultimate expert in their field, and other people should only call that person the expert or the leader in that field. And so that's why Jesus chose that word in that passage to express himself as teacher. He wasn't saying you can't call your Sunday school teacher or you can't call, you know, your professor at Bible college teacher. He goes, he's using a different word there. And that's sometimes the difficulty between translating languages, as you guys would know, trying to communicate into someone's language is getting the word right for what Jesus' intention was to communicate. So really, teacher is maybe not a great translation of that word, even though it is translated that in the Greek language, but master, somebody who is the one who has full command of the topic. Amen? You understand what I'm talking about? Uh, the other three words that are used to express teacher in the Bible is uh, grammateos, from where we get the word grammar, right? And that's a professor or a writer or a scribe. Makes sense, right? And uh, next one is rabbi. You guys, that one's used a lot in the New Testament, Testament for uh, Jesus, a title of highest respect for a scribe from their pupil. So they would say rabboni or rabbi. Uh, and then the other one is didaskalos, from which we get the word dictate, Right? Okay, so you guys are like, wow, Greek's behind everything. Yes, it is. There's no question about it. But anyway, uh, that's an instructor, again, a master teacher. And it comes from the word didasco, which means to, to teach or to communicate or to dictate to somebody or to your student. All right? And so now of these uh, four words that we've mentioned for the word teacher, the one didaskalos is the most common used in the New Testament. And then rabbi would be second. And so from that word didaskalos, we get the understanding of a a master instructor, somebody who's able to communicate truth in such a way that it is received. In fact, the word, if you go back to the etymology of the verb or of the word, the root of its origin is it means an action that's extended to somebody and they receive it, all right? And they receive it, they catch it. So in other words... Are you really a teacher if your student doesn't catch it? 
This verb would challenge us. This word that's most commonly used for teacher in the New Testament gives us that understanding that we, we are teaching, we are a teacher when the student grasps what we're communicating. If they're not getting it, we're not really effectively teaching. Someone say amen. So there's lots of people that will call themselves teacher. Lots of people have lots of knowledge and information. But if you give the information and it goes right over people's heads, did you really teach? Hello? Are you getting me this morning? It is this concept that what is taught by the instructor is thoroughly acquired and caught by the learner as a result of that activity being uh, thoroughly and completely uh, uh, effectively worked between pupil and, and teacher that is what teaching really is all about. So in other words, if the student doesn't learn, you're not really teaching. Hello? Yeah. And that's why I have a hard time with people who become teachers just because they, they think it's a safe profession. You know, it's a, good, it's a good job. I can get a good job. I can get a good pension. You know, I can retire after 25 years of service and spend my winters in Florida. Do you know what I mean? If, if your motivation for becoming a teacher isn't to instruct and encourage the minds of the young and bless them, you shouldn't get into it. I have the same problem with people who become pastors just because they, they want a job where they, they you know, get, uh, I guess, to be with people or to whatever, but they don't actually believe the Bible. Yeah, work one hour a week. Yeah. <laughs> of course, that's all we do. Uh, secrets out, Barry. You're supposed to keep that one between you and I. Uh, you know? But if you're, not, if you're not engaged in it because you actually want to communicate the love of Christ to other people, you know? Uh, Barry and I were talking one day. I can't remember who, who were we were talking to. I think it was someone at Starbucks. And they said, why are you guys always in a good mood? It's because we actually like people. You know? <laughs> They're like, oh, okay, yeah. We're, we're those pastors that actually like people. We like being around people. We love being around people. And uh, we enjoy being with others and, and releasing the hope and the joy of the Lord to those people. Uh, Dr. Oscar uh, Darlington, he's a professor of liberal arts at Ohio Northern University. He said this, a teacher's first duty is not to assign, but to inspire. He is not merely a walking textbook filled with encyclopedic facts, neatly arranged for dictation, but a dynamo charged with a contagious enthusiasm. Wow, I like that. Amen? And, and that's why, hear me out. I'm, I, you all know I love you, right? Okay. But that's why, if you're a Sunday school teacher, don't just show up on Sunday morning and grab the lesson off a shelf and do it. Immerse yourself in it all week long. Come into the office, pick up what the curriculum is, pray over it, immerse yourself in it, so that when you're giving it to the children that God has entrusted to your care for you to impart something to, that you're able to enthusiastically release the truth of that scripture, even at their level, to those children so that they grasp the love of God through you. That makes sense? Ryan and Christy and those that volunteer with the youth and junior high, same thing. I mean, uh, when you have a chance to, to, and you hold these lives in front of you, you know, prepare like, like it all depends on you and then deliver like it all depends on the Holy Spirit. Do you know what I'm saying? That's how we should live our lives. That is good teaching. I don't think I've ever stepped into the pulpit unprepared. I think I can safely say that. 
uh, I've never said, well, I'm just going to wing it this morning. Now, there's times when I got up here and I just threw the papers aside and everything I prepared, and Holy Spirit said, wing it this morning. Because he had something different he wanted to do. And I'm perfectly okay with that. I'm perfectly okay with that. If that's what God wants to do, then I'm his servant. I'll do whatever he wants to do. But I can tell you I've never stepped up here and not been prepared. And I commit to you that I would never do that because I consider the trust of communicating God's word to be a sacred trust. Why would I stand up here and not be prepared? But what's true for me is true for everybody. No matter what level, whether it's a small group in our home or whether it's a Sunday school class or whether it's uh, speaking at a college campus group or anything, we should be people who have immersed ourselves in preparation so we can effectively communicate the Word of God to those that He has entrusted to our care. Amen? Amen. Now, having said that, we need more Sunday school teachers and and uh, people, so if you would help us out, and if God's given you that gift, this is your first announcement and a commercial, unashamedly, this morning. I'll have several more before the end of the message. All right. <laughs> uh, so, that is what it means to teach. But I think when it comes to a New Testament teacher, the gift of teacher, we're not just concerned with what is a teacher, but what is the teacher teaching. Right? I think we we really can't escape this topic this morning without talking about content, right? What is the burden that is on the heart of the gifted teacher to communicate? And if I was to sum it up, I think ultimately it would be we need to communicate our love, our passion for the Word of God. As a teacher, I love to stir up in people a hunger for the Word of God. That's why I throw out those little Greek things for you. And you're like, whoa, wow, is that really in there? Yes, it is. And I love to dig into the scripture because there are things every time I go to the Bible, I learn something that I didn't know before. And, and I've been reading and studying the scripture since I was 17. I'm now 60. It's a long time. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And as I get into the word of God and I begin to, to dive through his scripture, I have a passion to, to help other people have that same love for the Word of God. And I've, I've always been an avid reader. When I was a kid, I, I was an avid reader. I, I, I would sign up in the summertime for book clubs where you'd have to read a book uh, a, a week throughout the summer. And, you know, I'd read all these different books. I'd, I'd love to read. But when I became a Christian, when, you know, when I knelt at that altar at 17 and Jesus just took all the weight of sin and, and the heaviness of, 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 of my, uh, my fear of death and all the other things that I had and even healed my back. And I, that's another story for another day, but I had this fire going up and down my back the night that I came to Christ. And, and I just thought everybody had fire up and down their back when they came to Christ. But for me, my back was on fire and I had suffered from scoliosis, curvature of the spine, and God healed me right on the spot. And uh, I was completely delivered from that and I wasn't even asking for it. That's pretty cool. But I got up off that place, and I could not get enough of the Bible. I started reading the book with fervor that you cannot imagine. I, my parents would, you know, say, you know, lights out. Come on, guys, time to get to bed by this point. It's 11 o'clock at night or so when I'm actually 
my parents were finally saying, come on, guys, you know. I graduated from when I was seven or eight, and it was eight o'clock at night. But, you know, and I'd, I'd say, yeah, okay, no problem. I'd turn the lights out, and then just so I could, I could still keep reading, I'd go underneath the bed sheets, and I'd have a flashlight, and I'd be reading the Word of God with the flashlight. And I, I read the New Testament three times in the Old Testament once in the first year I was a believer. I just couldn't get enough of the Word of God. The Bible just was, was life to me. And I think for every New Testament teacher, there's a passion for the Word that drives them and compels them to exercise their gift. They simply cannot get enough of the Word of God. And they want to communicate the Word to people around them. The very, if the very concept of teaching, as we just covered, is you know, communicating something until it's caught, then the subject matter in our context is exceedingly important. As, as, as a New Testament teacher, then we, we are, are not successful if we're not stirring in people, if there isn't caught in them a hunger for the Word of God. And that's why, you know, when you go back in history and people were illiterate and and, 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 they, and the religious leaders seemed to like it that way. And they didn't encourage people to read because they were the purveyors of truth. Their, their, their gift that was missing was the teacher because the teacher would have said, this is not acceptable. We need to be building in people such a hunger for the word that they're craving to learn how to read. And that the populace would drive a, a desire to know and understand the word of God. I believe the mission of the teacher is summed up in one phrase that Jesus said all the time. He said, to tell the truth. To tell the truth. 78 times in the Gospels, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. I tell you. 78 times he used that phrase. He wasn't simply communicating earthly wisdom. He was communicating the wisdom of God, the truth of God. And so Jesus would say, I tell you the truth. In other words, I am teaching you the very word and heart of God. I tell you the truth. Jesus entered the world in truth. First John, I should say John chapter 1 verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came with the message, the truth. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and what? Truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus' ministry was an explosion of the truth of the word of God into society. And the truth, the Bible tells us, the purpose of truth is to set people free. John 8.31-32 says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. People love to quote that. And the truth will set you free. But the truth only sets you free, you have to read it in context. If you hold to my teaching, if you obey my teaching, then you're really my disciples and you know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth doesn't set you free if you don't live it. The truth doesn't set you free if you don't hear it and make it a part 
of your DNA. And when you do that, when you have successfully received the truth from the teacher and you put it in your life and you live by it, then it will set you free. Hello? If you don't know it right in here, if it isn't part of you, it can't liberate you because it's not part of your DNA. But when you receive it and it becomes transformative in your life, then the Bible says that truth will set you free. And it can set you free from addiction. It can set you free from, from pain. It can set you free from, from greed. It can set you free from hatred. It can set you free from all kinds of things. When you make the truth part of your life and you embrace it and receive it and obey it, then it liberates you from all the clutches of the enemy. Amen? Praise the Lord. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, except through the truth. And that's why we can't water down the gospel just to make people feel comfortable. There's a tendency to want to do that. As culture morphs and changes and different ideologies come up and down and back and forth and all the rest of it, you can't change the truth just to accommodate somebody's feelings. <laughs> My wife showed me a little sticker this morning and it says, what, how did it go, Sherry? I drink, coffee I drink coffee stronger than your feelings. <laughs> I said, I got to get that on a t-shirt. That is just perfect, you know? Uh, the reality of that one is, but, but the reality is the truth is either, it's either true or it's not true, right? Either the Bible is the Word of God or it's not. And if it's the Word of God, then I can't, I can't alter it just to help somebody be comfortable. I never want to lower the word so that I can get over the bar. I want to hold the bar here and I want to train to get over that. Do you know what I'm saying? We don't lower it so you can just go, oh, look, I'm in a high jump expert because I, I stepped over a bar that was a foot off the ground. No, no, no. We don't lower the bar. We put it here and, and we aspire to be able to get over that bar. And the Word of God does that for us. It trains us and it, and it chastises it in us and it corrects us and it builds us and it edifies us so that we can actually rise to its standard rather than having it lowered so we can get by. Amen? The Bible says the Holy Spirit will lead us into truth. John 16, 13. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. There's liberty in the truth. There's liberty in truth. There's freedom in truth. There's no freedom in living a lie. Whether it's a, a lie that's been perpetrated on you. One of the greatest messages I ever heard uh, about truth and emancipation came from Creflo Dollar. Creflo is a black pastor in Atlanta. And uh, my wife and I were at a conference down there. And he was speaking and, <clears throat> and he said, you know, when we don't know the truth, it is, a, it is a prison. And sometimes it's perpetrated on us. So he talked about back at the end of the Civil War, 
and when, when the Emancipation Proclamation was finally in effect all across, in all the states of the United States, there were still blacks that were living in slavery in the South. And yet they didn't know the truth. The truth was that their freedom had been won at the cost of great bloodshed, that they were actually free men and women. And instead of living in freedom, they were still living in bondage because they simply didn't know the truth. And sometimes that's a picture of our lives. We're, we're living in a bondage that we don't know the truth of. Somebody's never explained it to us, so we're still living in bondage to drugs. We're still living in bondage to uh, alcohol or to, to uh, relationships that are destroying our life or to anger or to hatred or to racism or some other thing, some vile thing that's got a hold of our life. And we don't realize that there's another way. And so we're living in a bondage that we're wrapped up in. But then all of a sudden one day we hear the truth. And the truth pierces our soul and comes into our depth of being and it liberates us and sets us free. And so truth brings freedom. It brings freedom. It brings complete freedom and liberty. But not all of us are bound by chains that we're unaware of. Sometimes we're bound by chains of our own creation. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, let me tackle probably the most prevalent one in the house of the Lord. I better drink something here. Okay. And may I ever hear of a spirit of offense? <laughs> you know, somebody says something, does something that we didn't like hurt our feelings, we get offended, and we choose to live in that offense. We know better. We know that the Bible says forgive, right? But instead, we walk in the spirit of offense. And what we're doing is we're actually walking in a prison of our own creation. We're locked in, we're locked up, and it's like we swallowed the key, right? And there are, other, there are other sins that can afflict us in the church as well that we know better of. But, but I think this one's the most subtle because, you know, unlike, you know, someone struggling with alcohol, it's pretty obvious, right? Someone struggling with a drug addiction, it becomes pretty obvious, right? But offense, oh, we can hide that so well. And sit back there and we've got this gnawing little attitude, chewing away. And then we see them at church, and we see them with their hands raising. <laughs> How dare they raise their hand? <laughs> After what they said to me, <laughs> they think Jesus will accept their worship. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And we, 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 you, we laugh, but it's true. And how many times do we get a hold of these things and these attitudes, and we get locked up in this, this offense with somebody? And it's completely contrary to the scripture. The Bible says that we're to forgive. Forgive us our trespasses as we've forgiven others. My goodness, do you really want to pray that prayer and put that kind of condition on yourself? Because I think if we actually prayed that, there's a lot of us maybe would be walking around in, with unforgiven sins because we haven't forgiven others. 
Wow. There's no room for offense in the body of Christ. You know, I can be honest with you. I think as a pastor, we'd probably have more opportunities to pick up an offense than the average person. I've had people say some pretty strange things to me over the years. Just being gut-level honest here with you. Uh, I was pastoring in another town, and uh, we, used to, we used to write a... Uh, every once in a while, they get a different pastor to write a, a column for the newspaper. It was an interesting thing. The newspaper still printed, at that time, a, a, a religion and life page or column. And so, one time, I... I wrote an article, I can't remember what it was about, to tell you the truth, and I submitted it. And the lady that worked for the newspaper that was editing it went to our church. And she simply, I was the youth pastor at a church, and she just put associate pastor at blank, blank church. And so on Sunday, uh, a former pastor in the congregation uh, who had pastored the church many years before, but for some reason didn't particularly care for me, came up to me and he said, who do you think you are? I said, Pardon? I have no idea what he's talking about. You're not an associate pastor in this church. No one ever voted on you. I certainly didn't vote for you. Nobody else got to either. Who do you think you are calling yourself an associate pastor? I still have no idea what he's talking about. When I wrote the article, I just put my name on it. That was it. I didn't say youth pastor, great swami, or anything else. I just put my name on it. And he goes, he looks at me and he goes, uh, you're, you're the youth pastor, and that's it. And I said, okay, I agree. What, uh, what are you talking about? And then he mentioned the article. I said, I just wrote it and submitted it. I, I haven't even seen it in the paper yet. And then he walked away with a, you know, and I was like, whoa. How do, you, how do you live with that much hostility to somebody? Right? You can call me anything you want. Just don't call me late for supper. That's what my dad used to say. That sounds like pretty good advice. Doesn't matter to me. But he picked up an offense. He picked it up the day that I was brought on staff for whatever reason, and he'd never let go of it. But that offense was holding him in prison because I was like, wow, that was shocking. And the senior pastor came up and said, don't worry about it. And we went on. And I continued to probably irritate him for another three years. I don't know. But, <laughs> but the reality is, is that he was holding on to something that was an incredible weight in him. And I, I knew nothing about it until that day and and I decided not to hold on to it and to just let it go but you know those things happen and when it happens to you you have a choice am I going to hold on to that offense or am I going to let it go because when we let it go then the truth of the scripture has truly set us free when we're able to live out that ability to not be wrapped up in sins of our own choosing which is what a sin of offense is we get to choose whether we're going to be offended or not right? You don't get to choose whether somebody slaps you on the cheek, but you get to choose whether you slap them back, right? So when you choose not to carry that offense, then you get to walk in freedom. And as Christians, we need to be people who let, let things go. Just let it go. Just let it go. When I was with the youth, and we would, we'd travel to, on missions, and we'd end up in a country, and no matter what your best laid plans are on a missions trip, they always completely get dismantled, right? Because other cultures have different concepts about time. Christy, this is just something, hear what I'm saying here, girl, all right? They have different concepts about time, and you can make your itinerary as detailed as you want, 
but it may not fly. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. May not fly. Yeah, you learned that already. So, and you might just have to let something go. And so I, I trained the youth. I said, we used to go like this, flow. I said, practice this with me, flow. And the youth would all go, flow. And I said, and then when it's really bad, you go, stinking flow. You know? <laughs> because the one thing you can't do when you're in another country to serve is to pick up an offense. Hello? You got to just let it go. You just got to let it go. Because you know what? Not everybody is wired the same as you. And you just have to let it go. You got to let it go. I was in uh, Uganda. And I was in Fort Portal, which is over near the uh, border with uh, Congo. I don't know if you're ever in that town or not. but So we're there and we've got a missions team there. And, and it's been a challenging week because all the things that were supposed to be prepped for our team when we got over there, none of them were as we had been told and promised. Is that not right, Rod? <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, so we had to change our entire target of construction, what we were going to do, the projects we were going to do. The, uh, the school assemblies went pretty smoothly. Those were organized fairly well. Uh, the pastors' training schools that I was doing and Rob Brower were doing and Mike Karachuk, those... Those went off every day, but about four hours later than they were supposed to. And I had to just go like this many, many times all day long. So then at the end of the week, the, the pastors from the region that we had done training schools at their different churches wanted to meet and have a question and answer time with the, the three of us that had been over there as instructors for the, the two weeks. So we said, sure, come to uh, the place where Mike was staying. He was staying at a house with a beautiful garden, and it was a shaded overhang, you know, there. And and uh, some people that would prep some food for us and stuff. And we said, let's, let's start at 9 in the morning. And they said, that sounds great, Pastor. So I go over about 8.30, sitting there with Mike, talking about some of the things we might do and we might go over. And, and, uh, and uh, so anyway, 9 o'clock comes along, there's nobody there. So uh, we're like, oh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's cool. No problem. They'll show up. 9.30, nobody. 10, nobody. 11, nobody. 11.30, 12, nobody. Finally, I'm like... I don't know if they're coming or not, Mike, but I'm going to go with the rest of our team who's got the day off and is hanging out at the hotel that had a pool. I said, I'm just going to go, go for a swim and eat a hamburger and drink a cola. So uh, I said, see you later. So I leave. I go over there, and I come back about 2 o'clock, and there's 40 pastors all sitting there. And they go, Pastor, where were you? <laughs> Pardon? I said, well, we're supposed to meet at 9, right? I said, I was here at 9. I was here at 10. I was here at 11. I said, I was here at noon. Where were you? Oh, we were just getting more people to come. And I learned something. That relationships are more important than time in Ugandan culture. By a landslide. They wanted everybody to be there. It didn't matter if we had to start five hours late. They wanted everybody to be there. And they were all there. They arrived around 2 o'clock. You know? For something that was supposed to start at 9. So only five hours late, but they were there. And so then I sat down with them, and I had a choice at that moment. I could go and just go to my room or leave, or I could sit down and give them everything that I planned to give them anyway. And so I did. And we sat down until dinner time and just had a nice afternoon, even though I had to go stink and flow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because there's no room for that spirit of offense if we've been set free by the truth. Amen? Are you hearing me? 
Why am I sharing these stories with you? Because I want you to live in truth. And a good teacher wants you to understand the truth, know the truth, and be set free by the truth. There's liberty in the truth. There's freedom in the truth. But you have to embrace the truth in order for it to set you free. And when you do, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14, 15, right after our verse 11 that introduces these five gifts, it says this. When we've got that truth, when we're living according to the truth, when we're walking underneath that, that counsel of the truth, that we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Isn't that beautiful? So how do you recognize if someone carries the anointing of a teacher? Well, it's not just because they're smart and they've got a lot of knowledge. If they have the anointing of a teacher, then they have a heart for people. And it troubles them to see people in bondage and not set free by the word of God. It troubles them. It's incredibly important to understand. It's important to understand that a teacher is a person who must communicate the love and the truth of God. They're motivated by a love for their bride and his word. They're the Sunday school teacher who serves because of their love for children, their love for the word. They're the Bible study leader who will sacrifice time to prepare because they love the people and they love the word. Do you see a pattern here? They love people and they love the word. Their heart is what identifies their New Testament gift. So you can have all kinds of people that have the calling of a teacher, but are they a New Testament teacher carrying the anointing to teach as the scripture outlines? Then they'll be just not somebody who loves information, but they'll love the people that they're imparting information to. They're not identified by their education or knowledge, but rather by their heart. Amen? By their heart. And we need those kind of people in the church. We need them at the pulpit level. We need them at the small group level. We need them in our children's church and Sunday schools and midweek programs. We need, we need people who love people and want them to walk in freedom. And they know that it comes from the Word. Anointed teachers uh, aren't just interested in imparting doctrine, but they're interested in seeing people set free. Amen? They want people set free. A naturally gifted teacher may be able to explain to a person why they sin and what the Bible says about sin, but the anointed teacher releases power through their gift to see the person set free from sin. Amen? I want to close with a quote that I found. This is from William Arthur Ward. He's an author, an editor, and a pastor, and a teacher. And he said this. Are you ready? Got your seatbelts on? He said, the mediocre teacher tells the good teacher explains. The superior teacher demonstrates. The great teacher inspires. Can I say that again? The mediocre teacher tells. The good teacher explains. The superior teacher demonstrates. The great teacher inspires. Why do you insp how do you get to the level of inspiration? It's when you actually are more interested in your audience than you are in yourself and your topic. It's when you are desiring to have the Word of God enter their life and see them transformed, then they will be inspired by what you have to say. And we need people of inspiration. Amen? 
We need people of inspiration like never before because our world is not impressed with much anymore. It is divided and filled with hate and animosity for anybody who doesn't come right down the line agreeing with their most minute detail. We've got to come along and break all that by being people who love them so much that we become contagious to them and we inspire them to be more than they are. Amen? Amen. Well, this is my second advertising plug. We need teachers that will inspire. We need people that will inspire our young ones, our kids. I'm so grateful over the last year or two of all the volunteers we've started to acquire for youth and junior high, and every one of them has a desire to inspire those kids no matter what they're doing. We need the same thing in our children's church. You know, many times as churches, we have no shortage of volunteers for worship and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff because everybody loves music, everybody loves worship. But, you know, our children, the Bible says, you know, suffer those little ones to come unto me. Forbid them not. For of such is what? The kingdom of heaven. And so we're, we're here this morning. I was teaching on this anyway, but it just happens to work that we could use some teachers. And if you feel God calling you and saying, Lord, man, I really want to inspire some children to hunger for the word of God then we want to hear from you. And we, if you want to run a small group and inspire people for hunger with the Word of God, we want to hear from you. We want to see people get a hold of truth, and we need teachers who will communicate that truth with love and passion. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Next Sunday, Pastor Mark's going to talk about the gift of pastor. Someone asked me one time, they said, so what does Mark do at the church? (laughs) They may have observed that, you know, he's not running any equipment here on Sunday. You know, he's preaching about once every, what, five or six weeks, something like that. What, what, What does he do? I said he hugs people and drinks coffee. <laughs> Amen. And they, they said, really? And then some of them said, how do I get that job? But, but the, the prerequisite is you have to love people. Right. And I knew the first time I ever met Mark, Katrina said, I want you to meet, meet Mark. And I was like, okay, it was at Starbucks, I believe. Or, yeah, one of the restaurants. Restaurants, yeah. And, and uh, where, where else, right? And, and you know, uh, I said, this is a guy who just loves people. I could feel it radiating off him the first time that I met him. He loves people. And that's the gift of pastor. And he's going to talk to you more about that next week. <clears throat> but could you get Mark the microphone, that Barry there? And uh, as, a, as a guy who loves the people, I'd just like you to close the service this morning and shamelessly invite them all to be here next week. Mm-hmm. All right, would you do that? Yeah. Thanks. Pastor Kevin and Sherry will be out front, and you can say hi to them on your way out, and they can connect. And yeah, I'd love to pray with you and invite you back next Sunday to encounter the presence of God. Amen. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you uh, for helping us understand the gift of the teacher in our life, and how Pastor Kevin has inspired us to not only hunger for the word, but desire men and women of God to instruct and teach us and inspire us in the truth. And we welcome that gift through Desert Stream today by your Holy Spirit. 
we welcome that in all of our Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, and volunteers across this church. We want to be inspired to know and love you deeper and deeper. So we commit this week to you, God, and we pray that your word would be inspiring many of us throughout the week. We would learn to hunger and passionately seek your word and eat it like true bread and become all that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next week.